This is the School Success Podcast, a podcast for school leaders to learn from other school leaders what's working and what's not, and to get inspiration and encouragement, as well as strategies to grow school enrollment, connect with families, retain teachers, recruit teachers, and everything in between. You guys are heroes, and I cannot thank you enough for pouring into this next generation that's coming behind us. My goal is you will take at least one thing away from every episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Please enjoy the School Success Podcast. Hey, School Success Makers. Today, we're joined by my new friend, Chris, who runs an awesome school in the great state of Minnesota. They're extremely unique in what they offer and what they do, and I won't spoil any of it because I'm going to let him talk about it because that's what today's episode is all about, him and his school and what they're doing, what's going good, some challenges they have. We dive into all of it. So please enjoy this next episode of the School Success Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater, joined by a new friend out of the great state of Minnesota, Chris Wester, who is the school director at the International School of Minnesota, which is in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, right outside of Minneapolis. They have an awesome school. We connected on LinkedIn, and I was like, I got to have this guy on the podcast to learn about his school and what they're doing there. But I don't want to take any thunder away from him, so I will pass it off to him to introduce himself. So, Chris, welcome to the podcast, sir. Mitchell, I really appreciate you having me on and the opportunity to talk a little bit more about not only my school, but also just schools in general and leadership. So again, very, very fortunate to be here and want to thank you for the invite and looking forward to diving right in and talking more about schools in general. So. Love it. It's going to be fun, man. And I always start off the episodes by saying, if I was to come visit Eden Prairie, Minnesota, what do I have to do to embrace that area and say, Mitchell, you got to do this when you come to visit Minnesota? Because I have actually never been to Minnesota before. So what would we do? I think there's so much to do. I'm sure you probably get this a lot, but there, there are quite literally you know, thousands of lakes. We're known for our lakes. So if you like to be outdoors, Minnesota is certainly the right place for you in Eden Prairie, which is just 15 minutes outside of Minneapolis has a wealth of things to do for you and your family. It's rated as one of the top five states and top five cities, actually, to raise your children based on not only education, but the opportunities that exist. So if it were cold, we'd go ice skating or ice fishing. I'd have to you know, show you how to do that. And if it's warmer weather like it is now and this beautiful fall weather that we have, we want to get you out exploring some of the, the parks that we have also, you have to hit Mall of America because that's a requirement when you come to Minneapolis or anywhere around Minneapolis. But we would want to show you the, the beautiful nature that exists here in Minnesota. I'd want to get you out and show you some of that. Love it. Well, I know you guys get dumped on with snow. I'm assuming where you are like dumped on, dumped on. Is that true? This is true. Yes. We've had a couple of days last year where we had over a foot in the span of four or five hours. So yes. We get heavy snowfall. Yeah. I love it. See, back in the day, five years ago, I was living up in Alaska for years and a lot of my growing up there. And people would always be like, I've met people, you know, from Minnesota, Michigan and stuff. And they're like, oh, wow, you guys have crazy winters. And I was like, they're longer probably than yours, but you guys always got dumped on more than we did where I was living specifically. I remember hearing about snowfalls, like you just said, Minnesota and Michigan. I'm like, that's more than we had at one time where skin where I live. So you sure. guys got some crazy good in my opinion, crazy good winners, because I'm assuming like snow machining, snowmobiling is also big there in Minnesota. It's huge. Yeah. Everything from, you know, again, people doing cross-country skiing, getting out. You know, we have some man-made snowboard 
areas too, where people come out for Olympic trials. We've got one right here in Edina where they do some Olympic trial testing for snowboards. So yeah, I mean, it really is a sportsman's paradise for sure. Love it. Love it. Well, we'll kind of dive right in. I love to get a little bit of your background before we dive into your school that you're at right now. And just kind of how you got to where you are today with the, the life of Chris Wester. Sure. You know, I come from a family of educators. So, you know, instead of calling it the, you know, the family career, we call it the family passion. My mom, grandfather, my uncle, my brother, all in education. So I kind of went away from that when I was in college, went against the grain a little bit and went into broadcast journalism uh, for four years and thought that I was going to be on ESPN at some point in time, but figured out pretty quickly that I love telling stories, just maybe not in front of a camera and in such a vain, you know, occupation. So ended up, you know, changing direction, going into teaching history, which again, my father, he was the guy that stopped at every roadside attraction on road trips in the family car, you know, so it was in the blood. My brother and I both were history teachers and we're now both school principals, surprisingly. So, you know, teaching for 15 years and then getting into the administrative side, started with curriculum development and then in, in Florida, which is where I'm from, I spent 44 of my 47 years of life in Florida. But this job and this opportunity after leading two schools in Florida was too good for me to pass up. And so it brought me all the way from Florida in January mind you, to Minnesota for an opportunity to try something new and to really carve out our own path. Very good. Quick story. Love the story. And so now you're at this international school there in Minnesota, and I would love to hear what, because obviously those listening, you know, we've had a lot of people that are charter schools, private schools, K-12s. I don't think we've ever had an international school. So tell us a little bit about what that is and how you guys specifically operate as a school. Sure. We are a preschool through 12th grade, day and boarding school. We do have an international component that I'll talk about in a moment, but 80% of our students come from right here in the Twin Cities area. You know, we have 40 different nations represented at our school. We are part of the Sabas educational system and Sabas is an educational management company that's actually run out of Lebanon. They started schools way back in 1886. So you're talking about almost 135 year history Currently, Sabas is found in 20 different countries, five continents. They educate 70,000 students, and we are their only private school in the U.S. So typically their charters are aligned with, you know, with government educational operations in different countries. But we are the only private school that Sabas has in the U.S. and kind of their flagship. We opened in 86, so we're celebrating our 36th year of operation. And the school truly is unique in that we're blending, as I said before, that international and domestic component, but also a day and boarding component too. We have, you know, 36 students that can be housed on our property currently. We have, you know, 20 students that are here with us. Four of them are Ukrainian refugees that we took in this year, which we're really happy to have, and they're great additions to our school community. But ISM really is predicated around, uh, again, getting the best possible education, but having experiences that most students don't have until they get to college because of the number of international families that are here and how our students get to experience other cultures. Man. Okay. So this is really cool. So with the, the people that can actually stay there, the students can stay there. Can Is that start as first grade preschool? Can a student come from another country and stay at the school full time? 
Seventh grade. Yeah. We want to make sure we at least get them to that. It's where they're 13 or, you know, either seventh grade or 13 years old. And the reason for that is they need to be able to have obviously some of the maturity level to live on their own. We do ask our students to be very independent. They do their own laundry. We make sure that, you know, that they get themselves up. We have prefects that help with that as well. But um, it's really important for us to develop that measure of responsibility, personal responsibility early on. But we figured that seventh grade is the appropriate time. And, you know, that's been the case since the school really took on borders in 1994. So Sure. And is obviously for me, from thinking about it, now I only have one, one kid at the moment, he's three. I can never imagine sending him to a boarding school away from me. So I'd love to hear like, how does that, like the family component, is that kind of like an old school also mentality where people are like, well, you're going to go to this school and this is, you're going to get a great education living there at the school. Like talk, I guess kind of talk through, I know it's not all your students, of course, that do that, but sure. uh, so tell me a little bit more about how that family dynamic works. Yeah, it is very interesting. Most of our boarding students actually have a guardian that's close by or within, you know, four or five hours, somebody that they can call on if they need something. Now we take care of all of their needs. So 24 seven, you know, it's our responsibility. If they have doctor's appointments, if they have anything that's needed, we take care of them. As far as the onus of a parent to say, I want to place my child in a boarding environment. What we've learned recently, Mitchell, is that there are quite a few parents that really want for 11th and 12th grade for, for their children to get college experience living independently without being in college just yet. So we've had a number of students that have come to us, a number of families that have come to us that have placed domestic children, not international, because our biggest clientele, obviously, and our biggest number of students in, the, in our boarding program is, are international. But some of them are domestic students as well, whose families want them to have that experience prior to going off to college. And so it's a good blend. I know I have two daughters. They're, they're four and seven years old. I can't imagine sending them off right now, but I, I do understand the impetus from a lot of families who've gone through boarding themselves. Many of our families, you know, the parents were international students themselves. And so they understand the importance of getting out, having, having a young person of, you know, 14 through 18 years old, understand what it means to be on your own, what it means to be in, and again, they're in a supportive environment, but what it means for them to have responsibilities above what they would naturally have if they were in the home. So you answered that beautifully, sir. So that was good. All right. I see the the desire for that and where, why people would do that. So this international school, you got actually how many students currently right now enrolled in your school? 170, but we're growing pretty fast, which is good. Yeah. That's one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, but yeah. we're hey, growing. That's right, yeah. So next leading right into it. So sure. I'm running the school, 170 students and the school world is going kind of crazy right now, especially with you got private schools. I know that a lot of them have had an influx of students here, but challenges. So I love asking the guests that we have on, hey, what are some of these challenges you're currently up against? But not just a, woe is me, here's these challenges. But hey, how are you trying to combat them or ideas for how are you combating and trying to solve these challenges that you guys have? Sure, that's a really good point. Minnesota, challenge number one for us is dispelling myths. When people hear international school, they think that some of the comments that I've gotten at Chamber of Commerce meetings or Rotary meetings or even at events that we've held or, or been a part of, co-sponsored, many of the people that we speak to think that our school is all expats or it's all international students, that none of them come from the local area. I had one, actually two people tell me that uh, they thought that we were 100% boarding, that we didn't have any day school students. And I had to explain, no, in fact, uh, 
you know, over 80% of our, our students are actually day students. So dispelling myths, the term international can come with some positive and not so positive baggage, uh, quite frankly. And so letting people know exactly what we are and who we are, uh, branding ourselves properly, making sure that our messaging when it's going out is clear and concise, and then getting more people on property. Quite frankly, we have 55 beautiful acres. There are not many private schools that can claim 55 gorgeous acres in a highly desired area, but we have that. And so getting people out to explore our campus has been really, really important. And it's been one of the challenges that previous heads have had. I think the next biggest challenge is that we've had uh, turnover in our leadership role. So, you know, we had four different heads of school in seven years. And when you don't have consistency in leadership, as you're well aware, you know, it lends itself to, to parents and prospective parents seeing as an unsafe or, or potentially not unsafe, but as a place in which, uh, you know, there must be something going on behind the scenes. And that's really hasn't been the case. Each of the three previous heads were, you know, left for different reasons. But, you know, that's the perception. So battling perception when it comes to turnover has been challenging for all private schools. I've got quite a few friends that are heads of school down south in southern states. And I know we're all dealing with the same challenges when it comes to staffing and retention of good staff. But that's been, you know, one of the cogs, too. And then I think the third thing is that we just didn't brand ourselves and market ourselves properly. You know, again, that messaging wasn't concise uh, prior to 18 months ago when I was able to get here. It wasn't concise. It was kind of scattered. It was let's throw something against the wall when it comes to our marketing and see what sticks. There wasn't a 12 or 24 month campaign plan for making sure that our messaging was working and that we were recruiting new students. in. That led to declining enrollment for seven consecutive years prior to myself and our team that we collected and put together getting here really in, in 2021. So, you know, now we're headed, our trajectory is headed in the right direction. We had 25% growth this year in enrollment. We're anticipating 40% growth for next year. And, you know, things are heading in the right direction, but it's taken a massive team effort. Every level of stakeholder has been involved in our growth. So getting students, parents, our staff, all buying in and rowing in the same direction has changed the culture tremendously. And that's, I think that, you know, if there's one thing that we hang our hats on as school leaders is that if you have a strong culture, the school will grow. And we have all the programs that are necessary. The last challenge I would say, Mitchell, would be that we're in an area, Minnesota is blessed to have great public schools, really well-funded public schools that are phenomenal. And so we have taken what we do really well and make sure that we're accentuating that so that people can see our academies for what they are and decide that this is something they can't find in their public school system. Man, I love to digest some of these and dive into a couple of them. And one of our clients we currently work with is a school in Illinois, and they, they've dealt with the exact same thing that last one you just mentioned. They're in a, like one of the best school districts in the whole state of Illinois, and they're a private school. And they said, the students will get to a certain age and then they'll get pulled out and put into a public school by their parents because they're like, well, this one's free and this one's definitely not free. And they're dealing with that exact same thing. So we're working with them on their messaging and how do we come across and show people that, hey, you are different. Here's what you're offering and, and to really set them apart. So I feel, yeah, that's a huge challenge. I know for that one, when sure. you mentioned the the name, so like I totally get what you're saying because I had the same 
thoughts in my head when I was first reading up about you guys. Has that ever come across to go, should we look at changing the name? Or you're like, nope, never. We're never changing the name. How are those talks have gone for you guys? Yeah, they've been, you know, we've got what's nice in the last in the last two years, we brought in a lot of alumni as staff members, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, those that attended school for a number of years. And many of them are lifers. They were here 15 years. So they started in preschool, went all the way up. So when we pitched the idea of potentially changing our name, they were like, absolutely not. You know, we don't want to change that name. That said, we have done, you know, some market research to see what it would be like if we did make a change. We are going by ISM uh, more prevalently than we are the International School of Minnesota. We do have to explain that at times, but we're using that ISM moniker and logo much more frequently than we did previously. Because again, for some people, the international tag is not something that they want. For prospective parents, it may be something they don't want. For others, they welcome that. They want that experience. They want that diversity. I mean, we're fortunate. We're the most diverse private school in Minnesota. You know, just came out actually this week that niche.com rated us as the number one private school in Minnesota uh, for kindergarten through 12th grade. So we're kind of celebrating that right now, too, and very excited about niche, you know, naming us the top private school and most diverse private school. So we want to celebrate our diversity, but at the same time, we are always looking to see how we can be more appealing to a broader audience. And so some of those things, what have you guys, you've, I know you've only been there since, you know, just you're going on your second year, I believe is what it is. Right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are some of those things on the path, like the road, like where you guys are going of like, Hey, we're going to try and also put these things in place for that growth. And so you talked about, you know, 40% growth. So what are some of those things you guys are working on and what is the capacity you guys can get to with the building and place that you're currently in? Sure. No, it's great. We recently have renovated, we developed and created, took old space and created a state-of-the-art robotics lab. So that's one thing that we just completed back in May. We also renovated and completed a brand new art lab that includes ceramics. So we're able to do ceramics, offer some AP courses in ceramics. Our students wanted those programs, and so we're thankful that we're able to do that. We are redesigning. We have something at ISM that's very special, and it's a Saba staple. It's called our Student Life Organization, and and every school has student leadership of some form or another. This SLO program is very unique in that we are requiring students to be accountable in developing programs, working with other students that are younger than themselves, you know, our students can run an event from start to finish. I mean, they can talk to vendors. They can handle every aspect from start, from planning phase to completion by themselves, which is pretty amazing because we want them, obviously, to have those soft skills and, and be really prepared for what college and life will bring after that. But I think that for us in our growth, you know, we want first off, we want measured growth. If you're just growing to grow and you don't have a plan in place, something will fall through the cracks. Inevitably, something will go wrong. And so ours is measured growth. We Our building can accommodate up to 700 students. Wow. So we have plenty of space. Space is not an issue. One of the things we are looking at too, though, is to make sure that when we implement new academies and programs, so a neuroscience program, making sure that our robotics and STEM programs are outstanding. This summer, we're bringing in STEM camps in which we have professors from the University of Minnesota, but also Vanderbilt University and Duke University coming in doing STEM camps with us, meaning they're instructing these camps. 
We're also offering international camps where students can come over, kind of dip their toe in the water, so to speak, for a week or two, check it out, see what it's like to be educated, you know, for half the day and explore the Twin Cities areas for the other half of the day. These are the measures that we're taking in order to get a wider audience to understand what ISM is all about, but also making sure that as we move forward, and again, we have 20, 25% this year, 40% next year, as we move forward, that we're staffing properly, that we're thinking about the growing pains that naturally will come when you grow as a school. So, and that's really part of our academic leadership team's role and also our executive board, making sure that that we have everything in place for that growth. Has funding been at all an issue where you had to do some different fundraisers or is that something you guys have some set ones you do every year that help also bring in some extra funds for the school? Yeah, you know, we're a for-profit institution. So it's a little different. You know, I've worked at, for a, you know, a nonprofit private school, two of those and two for-profit private schools. And so for-profit, it's much more difficult and having a, you know, a fundraising arm Typically, it needs to be its own 501c3. So we do have a branch, a group called Parent Connection, which is part to help support some of those programs. But fundraising really hasn't been something that we have done um, a whole lot of, quite frankly. Being part of Savas Educational Systems, in essence, they have provided everything that we have needed to this point. We do have some programs, which we had an international day on Saturday. We just had our major event where we had over 500 people in the building, seeing how our students are learning in different languages, but also performers from all over the world and food from all over the world. So, um, you know, we feel like we are doing what's needed in order for us to grow properly. And, uh, you know, funding, you know, we're lucky in that regard, Mitchell, in, in that funding has not been something that we've had to do a whole lot of through advancement, but we're always still looking for opportunities to have sponsorships with corporations. We, you know, Minnesota has, more Fortune 500 headquarters in Minnesota than even Ohio, which has three times the population growth. So, you know, we've got Target, Cargill, Optum, and we have parents who all work for these companies. So we're exploring all of those, you know, all of those companies for possible sponsorships and uh, for potential fundraising down the road. But like I said before, we're lucky in that we don't have to rely on it right now. That's fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, moving right into the next section I want to talk about is just kind of what's going good. This is giving you a chance to brag about ISM and what you guys are doing. And yeah, just go for it. This this is my favorite, one of my favorite parts. Great. Well, I appreciate it. It's kind of hard as an educator. I think all of us probably find it a little bit harder to brag. At least I found that, you know, as a teacher, it's it's a little bit harder to do that. But here are some things that are really wonderful about, you know, the International School of Minnesota. You know, we finished, we won our section in our math competition, high school math league, which um, section doesn't sound like it's a big deal, but we're competing in Minnesota. It's a little bit different in that you're competing in schools that have 4,000 students. We have 170. So, you know, to be able to defeat schools that are much, much larger and win state, that's a real, you know, feather in our cap and something we're very proud of. Our robotics team is consistently top five in the state. They will have a very good opportunity to go on to nationals and international this year based on the bot they're developing. So STEM, really strong here at our school. Our student leadership organization, like I said before, is second to none. They are doing you know six major community outreach service projects every year. And that's for a school our size, that's pretty fantastic. We mentioned, obviously, the niche rating. 
that we again have the, the number one ECE program, number one pre-K through 12th grade private school, and we're the number one private boarding school in Minnesota. So again, at least a third party is seeing us and the contributions that all of our stakeholders have made in order to make this school truly an exceptional experience for our students. So, and then uh, what, honestly, one of the things I'm most proud of is that when I first got here, we had five parents that came to our first you know, parent organization meeting. We now routinely have to get bigger and bigger rooms to move into. So we'll have 40 that will come. And I think that the buy-in is really directly correlated to the culture of your school and the community development uh, that our admin team has done in order to make sure that people feel like this is a second home. And that's really the goal. You know, I came, it was in the height of COVID. We didn't have many student programs going on. Now from 7 a.m. until 8 o'clock at night, this building is buzzing with activity. And, you know, as somebody that loves, you know, a former athlete and somebody that loves to see kids engaged in doing things outside the classroom, it really does my heart proud to see our school, our little school do so much. So. Man, you guys are moving in the right direction for sure, it sounds like. And I love that you've had more parent buy-in. I think that's sure. obviously a feel-good thing because you want that. I mean, even if there's the, the negative pushback, I'm sure that comes from families sometimes. You want that feedback from them. And it's something I've always wondered that this little school my son goes to, like, we want to be at every board meeting when they like they sent out something just yesterday and they're like, We need crickets for the pet frog. And I was like, Okay, let's get crickets. Like I'm like anything I could do to try and be a part of it. And it's so interesting to me when they hop on these board meetings and there's like 10, 20 parents. I'm like, there should be like 100 parents on this. Why is there only not 100 parents? Like, yeah, kids' education. So I'm glad more people are buying in and being there. And hopefully, it's going to be a hundred something families are on the are at the. It's going to pack out the whole school auditorium or whatever you guys got for a gymnasium soon with all those parents buying in. So yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, again, the school goes only as well as the stakeholders go, and so. When you're able to get great buy-in, it's going to mean, you know, it's more volunteers for events. So events, you know, come off, you know, better or better attended. It's word of mouth. You know, the number one way that people learn about our school, because we're still looking to, obviously, you know, you heard the 40% growth anticipation for next year. Um, Word of mouth is still the number one way that parents find out about private schools. So always will be. You can spend millions and millions on advertising and marketing, uh, but word of mouth is what's going to close the deal more often than not. And uh, our word of mouth is very good right now. And it's, you know, uh, I always joke that school culture takes a constant gardener, you know, meaning it doesn't take much to throw it off kilter, but it takes a whole lot of work to make sure that the culture is headed in the right direction and that everyone feels a part. And that's something at ISM that I know that all of our stakeholders feel a part of it. And so... We're very lucky. Like I said, a lot of hard work, but at the same time, we're really looking for rapid growth over the next five years. So, yeah, you're and you're 100% right. Culture is so key, and it's hard mm-hmm. to get and it's hard to keep, but sure. so incredibly valuable when you do have it and you have that everything's humming and everything's in the right direction and working. Before I go into my last question, I had another one for you that popped mm-hmm. in my head. So. How are people finding you that are outside of the United States? Is it something just Google an international school or they go to that organization you guys are a part of and they say, hey, you should go to this one if you're looking to go to the United States? Like, how does that kind of process work for those ones who have found you? Sure. You know, we utilize and we don't do a lot in the way of international marketing or advertising, quite frankly. I mean, occasionally we'll do some WeChat or have YouTube videos that are aired in different in different areas, but that's a very, very small percentage of, of what we're doing. 
we have agents and, and most of our kids, we do have some agents uh, that will place students with us for boarding. But most of our students that are international come to us from word of mouth, meaning that they've had a friend, you know, if they're going back to Taiwan, they, you know, that they had a friend that lives down the street that went to ISM and really enjoyed it. And so they find out and reach out to us. So word of mouth has really been our strongest um, advocate when it comes to the international students that, that, that decide to visit and enroll at ISM. It's been, you know, because they've known somebody that, that's had a successful run or some parents, again, parents are becoming a lot more savvy. They'll do research. Okay, well, I'm going to send my child to, you know, a boarding school. I want it to be an international boarding school. And they'll start to, you know, we'll hopefully check off quite a few of the boxes on their checklist and they'll reach out to us on their own accord. We've had quite a few families that have done that as well. But, um, but really, it comes down to experiences. And I think that, you know, no matter... And you kind of opened the conversation with talking about sending your child, you know, halfway around the world. What does it mean to, you know, what, where would you need to be in a comfort level in order to send your child halfway around the world? I think we do a really good job of our, in our international program of making sure parents feel comfortable and feel safe and that they understand that they're going to have their child, if they're sending their child to ISM, that they know they're going to have multiple advocates and people that are going to look out for them. You know, we make a lot of decisions in our boarding program, and I know I could speak for our staff when I say this, that, it, you know, a lot of our decisions are, what if it were my child? If it were my child, what would we do? You know, so having those advocates and making sure that those kids feel like that they're very supported, they have a second family here, has won us some favor, and that word of mouth is, has been important in, in keeping new students coming in. So, Awesome. Awesome. Well, as we... Go to the last question for today is giving you a chance to share a piece of advice. You'd mentioned you come from this lifelong of educators and you've been doing this for a long time. So what would that piece of advice be from Mr. Chris for the rest of the school leaders that are listening? Yeah. You know, I'm even going to defer to the advice. I'm kidding. But I will tell you this, you know, the best advice that I got from my mentor was to have multiple people that you can reach out to as a school leader multiple people that you can reach out to that aren't part of your work dynamic at school and get advice from. I have been very fortunate to have great mentors, people that I have been able to gather information from, and I feel like I've been a sponge around them at times, but to develop a network of heads, assistant heads, advancement directors, people that you can relate to and call on for advice, because you're not going to be able to solve every problem or figure your way out of every instance on your own. And it's really important that you don't feel like you have to, that you have a support system, a network of people that you can call on and ask advice of, because that's been wildly beneficial in my eight years as an administrator. And it's one that now I have people that, you know, that call on me. We, we do it likewise. We have a team of about eight people that routinely stay in touch and then get involved. My second piece of advice would be if you're part of a state organization, whether it's the, for, you know, for you down there, Florida Council of Independent Schools, or get involved, go to conferences and build your network. Have your mentor group, your group that you can rely on for great conversations and advice, and then also just develop your network because the bigger your network, the more you're going to learn. And, uh, and that's the name of the game. You know, we preach lifelong learning. We have to practice it as well. You crushed it. Lifelong good advice. I love it. Chris, 
It has been an absolute pleasure. I love what you're doing. I love that you felt that call to, to leave sunny Florida, to go up to snowy Minnesota, to lead this school. And just wishing you guys nothing but the best as you go to, go to grow this 40% in this next year and all the things that you guys have in store. So keep doing what you're doing. I love what you're doing. And I wish you nothing but the best, but thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today with me. Uh, Mitchell, I really appreciate it very much. And uh, you know, just want to say thank you again for you doing this. It certainly is helping a lot of school heads and people that are, are looking to get into leadership to learn more about what all of our experiences are. So thank you. Well, another huge shout out and a thank you to Chris for taking time and being on the podcast today. I love what he's doing over at the International School of Minnesota, and I'm wishing them nothing but the best as they continue to grow and educate the next generation that's coming behind us. And if you're listening to today's episode and you're struggling, your school has empty seats, you don't know what to do with the leads that are coming in, or maybe you're not getting enough leads and you just kind of feel stuck. I'd love to have a conversation with you and hear what's going on and see if there's ways that we can help you. You can check us out online, schoolsuccessmakers.com. That's schoolsuccessmakers.com. Or we have a private Facebook group just for school leaders called School Success Makers. That's School Success Makers private group on Facebook just for school leaders. I'm personally in there and I'd love to see you in there as well. We're here next week with another amazing guest as usual on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.